All right, so we're continuing our look at uh, at the Apostles' Creed, and um, just kind of by way of reminder of exactly what it is that we're doing. Okay, so we're uh, we're taking the creed, this historic creed that comes to us from roughly uh, 390, but it contains the teaching that um, was was very common and and uh, fairly agreed upon up until that point uh, from the apostles. And um, and so we are taking this creed, and the, and the reason, as you'll recall, that we are looking at the creed is because it's something that we utilize. It's been utilized in the church. It connects us to uh, 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 ages past. It connects us to other believers worldwide or around the world. Fikret, do you all use the Apostles' Creed in Turkey? Yeah? All right. So uh, Fikret's church there in Izmir, uh, Smyrna, Turkey, they use the Apostles' Creed. Um, that's something that, that Christians worldwide use. And, and so there's this connectedness that we then have, both to history and to one another. And so we're taking the Creed, um, not as the Word of God, but as a summary of the Word of God. And then we're jumping into the parts and pieces. And so what that gives us, then, is... It gives us a kind of a systematic look at various teachings of the Bible. So instead of us going uh, expositorily through a number of passages, what we're doing is we're taking a systematic look at what does the Bible teach about X, Y, and Z. And so this morning we arrive at the passage uh, in the creed that says, um, from thence he shall come to judge uh, the living and the dead, or the quick and the dead, okay? And so that's where we're at in the creed this morning. And uh, and the idea is, the concept is that the creed is telling us that Jesus is going to come again, and when he comes, he comes in judgment. All right? And that is the essence of what the creed is telling us. Now, I will just tell you, you can go out, you do your own little. You can do your own little search, and what you're going to discover is that there are um, there are a fair number of views. Uh, is there one judgment, two judgments, three judgments, even? Okay, uh, is there a judgment to get into the millennium, and then another judgment at the end? All of that, and I'm just going to give you. I'm, obviously, I'm going to give you my view, which is our. Uh, kind of confessionally based re, uh, uh, view here um, in the in the Presbyterian Reformed tradition, and that is there is one judgment. All right, when Jesus returns, he will come, and he will come in judgment. He will sit, if you will, in judgment, and that um, is uh, is a fairly standard view across the Presbyterian Reformed world. There are a few kind of intricate details wrapped up in that. But we're thinking about the creed and how did the creed, how is it that this part entered into the creed? So think of all of the things that you read in the Bible, okay? And then the Apostles' Creed has boiled down all of that teaching into a paragraph about yay big. How did the judgment of Jesus Jesus' judgment of all humanity enter into the creed. Well, here's how. It's incredibly prevalent. It is all over the New Testament. 
Um, there's scarcely a, a page in which, um, uh, in the in the New Testament, the judgment that Jesus um, has on his on the entire world isn't mentioned. And so, we've taken you to two passages. The first of them, and 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 I believe, and I think it bears out in Scripture that both Revelation chapter twenty. 11 through 15 that Russell just read for us, which <coughs> you will often hear referred to as the great white throne of judgment, okay, um, is the same judgment that Jesus himself talks about in Matthew chapter 25, in which Jesus uh, talks about a judgment in which at the end um, uh, he will be there and all of the nations will be gathered before him. That is, all people. All of the peoples will be gathered before him, and then he will separate them into two groups. And those two groups in Matthew chapter 25 are the sheep and the goats. So we're going to talk more as we kind of work through this, but it seems clear in Scripture there is a judgment. It happens at the end when um, when Jesus returns. That's the only statement. So think about it. Um, we worked our way a year or two years ago. We worked our way through the book of Revelation. We looked at all of the various views. You've got uh, the pre-millennial view. You've got the post-millennial view. You've got the amillennial view. You've got the the uh, the view that I hold to, and that is the pan-millennial view, and that is it will all pan out in the end. Um, but but we have all of these competing views of the end times, okay? Some of you were were troubled um, by some of that, but you know we worked we kind of worked our way through that. It's it's interesting. The confession bypasses or the confession, the Apostles' Creed bypasses every bit of that. Our confession bypasses it as well. But but the but the creed bypasses all of that, and it goes to one aspect of the end. And that is that Jesus is going to come back, and when Jesus comes back, there will be a judgment. And that judgment will be of all people. That is the only, um, uh, your big word for the, for the day would be eschatological. That is the only eschatological statement that this creed makes. That means that is the only statement about the end that the creed itself makes. So the church has been confessing for, uh, you know, a thousand plus years now, and the only thing that we say, look, this is kind of a, a necessary part of your confession of faith, is that you believe that Jesus is going to return, and when he returns, he will return in judgment. And he will return in judgment of all people. Those are the three parts that come to be- to, that come together. The first part is this. When... When Christ comes, where does he come from? So look at, look at your creed. If you've got your bulletin, you'll see it there. Um, we talked uh, the last couple of weeks. He descended into Hades. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven, and he sits at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. Okay, so we looked at that last week. Jesus will ascend. He will sit at the right hand of the Father. 
And then the next, the very next statement is what? Where will he come from? He will come from the throne of God. Right? So he's going to come from that position that he has, which is a position of authority. He will come from the position where everything has been put under his feet. Okay? He has gone into Hades. He has bound the evil one. He has accomplished his work. And now all things have been put under his rule and reign. And so he has sat down at the right hand of the Father. And and what the Apostles' Creed says is, from thence, okay, so from that location that he has been at, he will come. From that position, he will come to judge all humanity. That seems to be at least the first part of what the Creed is getting at. Who Jesus will come, and He will come with all power, and He will come with all authority. Paul tells us in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 22, And God placed all things under His feet, and He appointed Him to be head over everything for the church. So, He's, he's been given all things, and, oh, by the way, kind of as a special, um, you know, kind of a, a comment about that. And he is head of his church. Okay? And so, Jesus is the king and head of the church. If you go and you take our book of church order and you look at it, one of the, what we call the preliminary principles, one of the foundational principles of who we are is that Jesus is the king and head of the church. Not Sam, not the PCA, not, not, not a, a bishop in, in North Atlanta, okay? Jesus is the king and head of his church, and so that's where we bend the knee, is to King Jesus. And, and so the creed is telling us that Jesus, because he's been given all this power and authority, because God has placed all things under his feet because he came and carried out the will of his Father in heaven, and he did it perfectly, and he did it without sin. He has authority. He comes from a position of authority. So, Jesus is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. When he comes in judgment, he will come will have a double-edged sword that comes out of his mouth and he will separate, okay? Because he will come in power and might. So whatever meek and mild picture you have of him, that's nice. That's not how Jesus is going to return. He will come in power with the position to judge. Uh, in Revelation chapter 20, what is the picture? Verse 11, then I saw a white throne. No, a great white throne and him who was seated on it. That is Jesus and the earth and sky. What fled from his presence. There was no place for them. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne, and the books were opened. This is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. 
This is Jesus, the judge of all men. Here's the second thing that the creed at least tells us, right? Um, That at the end of all things, the earth is going to pass away and all humanity will be judged. When the text says, uh, when, when, when the, um, uh, when, when the creed says that he comes to judge the living and the dead, okay, we don't, we don't really talk like that. Um, normally what we would say is he comes to judge everybody. He comes to judge every single person. Nobody gets away. The, the way that the creed says it historically is he comes to judge the living. Okay, So when Christ returns, everybody who's alive will be caught up with him. And then those who are dead will rise and their souls will be joined to their bodies. And then everybody will stand before the throne of judgment and that will take place. So... Everybody who has lived prior and has died, their bodies will be raised. Their souls will be joined to their bodies. Everybody who is currently alive. So it doesn't matter. So here, it doesn't matter if you're dead. It doesn't matter if you've been in the grave for 2,000 years. It doesn't matter if you've been in the grave 4,000 years. Your judgment will happen exactly the same way if you're 20 years old. And Jesus returns. It's all going to happen, and everybody will be standing before the throne of God. That makes sense? So in a sense, everybody who's going to be standing before that throne is going to be ready in, in the sense that they will be alive for the judgment. And the creed just is trying to communicate to us Everyone. There is, there is nobody left out. There, no one escapes this. Everybody endures it. Everybody will go through judgment. It's not particularly something that people like to think about. It isn't something that perhaps this morning as you're hearing that, you're thinking to yourself, I don't necessarily want to want to go through that. Um, when I'm talking with people about the gospel, the most common thing that I hear when, when, I ask, when I'm asking probing questions, the most common thing that I hear is, well, I try to do the best that I can do. I want to be the best person that I can be. I try really hard. Have you ever heard it? Maybe you've said that. Listen, at the final judgment, the standard the Bible tells us is this. Be holy as I am holy. That's the standard. I'm not sure that what you nor I want to do is go and stand before the great great white throne of judgment and say, I tried really hard to be nice. So the creed is telling us he's coming. 
He's coming in authority. He's judging everyone. And no one will escape it. Period. End of story. Nobody escapes the final judgment of God. Let that sink in. There are a couple of questions that come with that. The Bible teaches, first, it's a public judgment. So when I was a kid, um, when I was a kid, we were living in California. Hal Lindsey's The Great, The Late Great Planet Earth came out. Y'all remember that, that movie? Scared the, scared the living little devil out of me. Okay. Almost. Uh, but not quite. Uh, there, and then there were two other movies, Christian films that were made. Um, a Thief in the Night. Anybody ever see A Thief in the Night? You are kidding me. We're going to have, right? In California, we need to get a public viewing of A Thief in the Night just so you can experience what it's like to be scared out of your wits, okay? Um, and, uh, gosh, I don't know, there was another one. But that, that, those were the movies where Greg Norman sang, um, I wish we'd all been ready. So if you've ever heard that, that old 70s tune, I wish we'd all been ready, okay? It was written for those two, um, I don't even know what to call them, like, evangelistic movies, okay? But in those, one of the scenes is that, that there's a, there's a, a big theater wall. I mean, this is all we can, you know, this is the only way that we really have to understand this. And all of their thoughts, all of their actions, all of their deeds were, were on complete and total public display. Have you heard this? Your deeds will be made known. What you've done in secret, what you thought, all of that will, okay, so, so somehow that's depicted. Um, the Bible does teach that there is, that the final judgment is public. All humanity is there. So this is a difference. So, so think about this. And, and, and this is sometimes where the idea of two judgments come from. When you die and you die in Christ, your soul does what? This is a test question because we've preached this recently. Your soul goes to be with Jesus, okay? Your soul goes to be with the Father if you're in Christ. If you are not in Christ, your soul departs and goes to not, not Gehenna, but to Hades, okay? And so we, we've, we've looked at that. So these are kind of the holding patterns, if you will. It's not, this is not, um, it's not, not the same thing as the Catholic, uh, teaches in terms of purgatory. Um, but it is not the final place. Okay. So you go to, your soul goes to be with the Father or you go to Gehenna. And those are the two locations. So that happens when you die, it's personal, okay? So, in a sense, the Lord has already winnowed. He, he's already made the separation. You've died in Christ. You died apart from Christ. But at the final judgment, all humanity stands before the throne. It is a public judgment. And, and um, you 
and we all are there together, and we're separated, as it were, together. Okay? And at this point, it's not just the soul, it is your soul and your body. So you're there as you are here today before the throne. And understand, I don't know what your body's going to look like. That's the, that is the question everybody wants to know. And it's not a single man, but it's all humanity. Okay? It looks that way in Revelation 20. It looks that way in Matthew 25. It looks that way in other parts of Scripture. So... Um, so that those are some of those little tweaking, varying differences between what happens when you die and what happens at the final judgment. The creed is specifically concerned with the fact that it's all humanity, that we all are there before, and we're divided into two groups. So if you take your Bibles... Um, and you see the two groups, hold on, and you see the two, two groups in Revelation chapter 20. Those, those whose names were written in the Lamb's book of life, those whose names are not written in the Lamb's book of life. And then we have, um, uh, in, in Matthew chapter 25, we have the sheep and the goats, okay? We have those who in Jesus' name, now, in the Matthew 25 passage, um, it, it specifically is a reference to receiving those who, when Jesus is talking, he's talking about as you received those individuals, okay? It's those people who were apostolic, probably uh, the disciples, the apostles. If you received them, okay, you gave them a cup of cold water, you did it in my name, okay? And so it's a reference to the gospel going out and the reception of the gospel as that gospel was given. If they rejected it, they were rejected. If they received it, they were received. And so Jesus in 20, Matthew 25 is dividing all people into two groups, the sheep and the goats. This is, this is the Bible's teaching down through the ages, and it's this. There are only two groups there are the there's the seed of the serpent and there's the seed of the woman that comes to us out of genesis chapter 3 there there are those who are uh following christ those who don't follow christ those are the only options there's no third pool or fourth pool of individuals there they're described in Matthew chapter 11 verse 13 as the wheat and the tares. They are in 25, the sheep and the goats. John 8, the sons of the devil, sons of God. John 15, fruitful branches, fruitless branches. They are the maidens with oil and the maidens without oil. Matthew 25, they are the guests in wedding clothes. They are the guests in a shambles of clothes. Um, that those divisions run deep all through the Bible, and they show up in the passages on judgment. You are either a child of the King, or you're not a child of the King. In the judgment, 
you will either be brought into glory or you will experience Gehenna, the lake of burning fire. Which ultimately it's not about the heat. It's about the separation from God. And, and the creed hits on it. And the creed, and, and as, as we come every week, we confess that. We believe that he will come and he will judge the living and the dead. So the next question is, what is the basis for the judgment? That's the question. What is the basis for the judgment? So, how do you end up in the Lamb's Book of Life? You'll remember there's a passage in Luke when Jesus sends out the disciples, okay? And he sends them out and they go out and they come back to him. And they tell him, I mean, they're ecstatic. Jesus, we went out. We were casting out demons. We, the, the demons were obeying us. They, they, we, in your name, things were, it was amazing. And what does Jesus say to him? He, he looks at him and he says, don't get excited that demons obeyed you. Get excited that your name is written in the Lamb's book of life. That's what should thrill you. That's what should excite you. And so here's the question. How is your name written in the Lamb's book of life? What does the Bible say? So the Bible tells us there's a judgment. What is it that will be judged? Are you going to be judged on your works? Yes. You will be judged according to what it is you have done. So, in that judgment, okay, all humanity will be judged according to what they've done. And the question is, have you done the one thing that distinguishes you from the rest of the world? Have you trusted the person and work of Jesus Christ? Have you placed your trust and your hope there on Him? Because He, the Bible says, He has made satisfaction for you with God the Father. And when you trust in Him, His work is imputed to your account. It means it's credited to you. It means it's given to you. It's, it's appropriated to your account sheet. So that when you stand before the great white throne of judgment and they look at your log, of the, the account sheet of who it is and what you've done, the overarching thing that is going to be there is Jesus. Jesus' work for you will be on your account but only if you've placed your trust and hope in Him. Only if you're making this your confession. What's come prior to this when we talked about the person of Christ and what He's done for us. Okay, That's the final thing. So it's a judgment of works. The question is, 
whose works are going to be on your balance sheet. Because if your works are the only works on your balance sheet, then guess what? Yeah. You will not be good enough. Be holy as I am holy. That's the standard. And so the rest of humanity will be judged according to their works. And unfortunately, nobody can produce the works necessary to meet the standard of the creator of the universe. Now, that's the baseline. Here's what I, what, what I need to just take you through next very quickly is this. The Bible does seem to teach that there is also a series of rewards associated with the judgment. Okay? 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 9 and 10, Paul says, So whether we are at home or away, we make it our aim to please Jesus. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. Our own Westminster Confession says in chapter 30, God has appointed a day where he will judge the world in righteousness by Jesus Christ, okay, to whom all power and judgment is given by the Father, in which day not only the apostate angels will be judged, but likewise all persons that have lived upon earth shall appear before the tribunal of Christ to give an account of their thoughts, words, and deeds to receive according to what they have done in the body, whether good or evil. That's our own confession, okay? There's, uh, there is some debate about this. I will tell you, um, not exactly cut and dried. What exactly does that mean? Here's what we know, okay, from Scripture. What we know is that your judgment for eternity is based not upon your, your works, but on the work of Christ as he brings you into heaven, okay? That's the first thing. Is there a judgment of your works that goes beyond that? Scriptures seem to indicate that, that perhaps there is. What does that look like? Well, here's what it doesn't look like. It doesn't look like a diminished joy in your life. Okay? It doesn't, it doesn't look like you're banished to the back corner of heaven and that somehow you're second rate citizen because you didn't do X, Y, and Z. I, I don't know exactly what it means in terms of you, you've laid up your treasures in heaven. Okay? What is the reception of those? I, I don't fully understand that, but, but what you can be assured of is, it, perhaps it's a little bit like, we, Jody and I went to this, we went to a concert a, a week or so ago, Carrie Underwood, if you're interested, and, um, and, and we went, and, and she gave a really nice little testimony in the middle of her concert, but it was really cool, and, um, but we're there, we're in the arena, so it's Phillips Arena, which is now like State Farm Arena, okay? And, um, and, and you know, p- perhaps it's, it's something akin to being right down in the mosh pit or being up in the back seats. But you know what? We were at the concert, and, and it was awesome, and, and it was really good, and there wasn't a bad seat in the house, and, and, and I was there, okay? 
and I don't know. I don't know if, if that's what it's like. I do know this. I know that the disciples argued over position in the kingdom of God. They argued over who is going to be, right? Who's going to have the best seat? Who's going to sit, who's going to sit at his right hand? Okay? So they had some perception of there's an, there's a, there is a place of honor. Okay? And, and I don't know exactly what that looks like, but I, I know that the Bible does seem to teach that. And what that, what that gives to us is, okay, the Bible indicates it does give some sense of an impetus for living before Him as He's called us to do. Okay? And so Jesus talks about it in Matthew chapter 25. And what does He say? He says, look, okay, you're welcome into the Father's kingdom and you did these things. You gave water to the poor. You cared for those who were in need. Okay? Is that the, is that what was required for entrance? No. But that's what those people who were in did. Does that make sense? So the, the reformers said, you're saved by faith alone, but not by a faith that is alone. And so if you're in Christ, there will be some good deeds there. There will be fruit there. Alright? And the Bible seems to indicate that there are some sort of heavenly rewards for those works that are done in Christ as redeemed folks. A couple of so what's about this part of the creed. Here's the first one. If there is a final judgment, and the Bible tells us there is, then one of the things you want most desperately sometimes in the world is will eventually happen. And that is you and I instinctively look for fairness in the world. And what the Bible tells us is that ultimately that will all happen. Because in God's judgment, He is perfectly just and He will be the just judge of all humanity and everybody's deeds. The second, the kind of the corollary to that is relax. Be forgiving. Because ultimately, you don't have to be the one to met out the final judgment on the guy who cut you off at Arby's. Okay? You don't have to be. You, you don't have, you, you can let it roll off your back like water off a duck's back when you've been wronged. Because you have a heavenly Father who ultimately, okay, you don't have to tell somebody to go to Hades. Okay? Honestly, you don't have to be in that position because you have a heavenly Father who knows the deeds of all men and will one day judge us all. The Bible teaches that the psalmist found comfort and hope and solace in that fact that God would one day be the just judge of humanity. Here's the third thing. And we just kind of talked about it, right? The final judgment of God serves something as a motivation for righteousness in the life of the believer. Paul encourages us in that in 2 Corinthians 5. 
Jesus tells us, right, to not store up for ourselves treasures here, but to store up for ourselves treasures in heaven. I don't know what else that means other than there's treasures in heaven. Okay? For those who give them up in this life and don't store up for themselves things here, you know, perhaps, perhaps, and, and here's what I like to think about that is, okay, uh, that th- it will be a beautiful picture of those people whom have been in your life, right? Because people matter. Souls matter. Stuff doesn't matter. And so I like to really think of that as the fact that you have the opportunity to lay up for yourselves relationships and people and things that in heaven are going to matter. I had uh, a friend of mine, a pastor friend from down in Ocala, Florida, just drowned a couple of weeks ago. His name was Ted Strawbridge. He's a church planner, mid-50s. His boat got away from the dock. He jumped in to go after it, and he had a heart attack in the water, and he died. They held two memorial services for Ted because they couldn't accommodate everybody at one because he touched a ton of lives. And the stories, the story after story after story of Ted Strawbridge's ministry in the lives of people, okay? Those matter. Those last. Those will outlast whatever other phony baloney treasure you have in mind, okay? People matter. Souls matter. Touching people's lives matter. And I like to think when we look at that, that that's what Jesus is talking about. Having people that know and love you have been affected by your love and your grace and your mercy and your sharing of the gospel with them, your ministry in their lives, you pulling them out of darkness, you, you know, going and, and loving them in prison and dragging them out of an orphanage somewhere and, you know, whatever else, however else you show love to people, that matters. That lasts. That's treasure in heaven. And here's the last thing, motivation for evangelism. You and I, right, you you hear the message that there's a final judgment, your attention perks up, okay? Think about the people you know and love in life and and take the gospel to them. Second Peter chapter 3 tells us that God longs that none should perish, but that all should come to the knowledge of Him, right? If God longs for it, are you longing for it? You know, I, I loved what Fakret said uh, this morning in the Sunday school hour. We talked about how fear kept the message down. But once he was, once that fear was gone, once he was beaten, once he, you know, was in jail and he was before cops and the Lord took the fear of all of that away from him and he realized, you know, beyond that, what, what, there's not a whole lot else that you can do to me. You can kill me and I won't even know. But once the fear evaporated, the gospel went out, right? Once the fear left, now it's just sharing the gospel. And he said that's when they began to see growth. That's when they began to see baptisms. That's when they began to see Muslims coming to faith in Christ once the fear left. And so the final judgment for you and I is a motivation for evangelism. 
Who do you love? Who do you want to see in heaven? From thence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. Let me pray for us. Father, thank you for your goodness and for your word, which reminds us that ultimately we will all be before your throne. And we thank you for the Lord Jesus. We thank you for his work. We thank you that our hope, our confidence is that as we are in Christ, there is now no condemnation.